0: Hi there, MMBC Church family. It's good to be with you this week. Uh, We're going to do our midweek discussion that we try to do each and every week. not too confident we posted one last week. We did one, but we don't know if it got uploaded. So if you see two this week, that's because we uploaded last week's this week. And so maybe you can go back and listen to that. That one was about the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, This week, Pastor Scott preached uh, this past Sunday. And our focus, as we did our series here for Christmas looking at some of the covenants that God made with his people and how Christ fulfills this, how it all was leading to him and what he would do, the work that he has done and continues to do. And so Pastor Scott was looking at the covenant that God had made with Israel and Moses with the law. And so Pastor Scott, we're going to turn this over to you. Today, it's just me and Pastor Scott. Pastor Spencer's away. He's in Missouri with family for Christmas and Thanksgiving, spending some time together with them. So we're happy for them. Hope they're having a good time. So it's just going to be me and Pastor Scott doing this uh, today. So Pastor Scott, lead us through a little bit of your sermon. Let's discuss maybe some areas that you would have liked to talk about more but didn't have time or, or however you lead. Yeah, so what, we're, what
1: we looked at on Sunday was what we call, it has different names. It's referred to primarily as, I think, the Mosaic Covenant, uh, and that's just because Moses was like the mediator between God and the people. Um, so the, ba- the you have to know some of the backstory to understand how we got the Mosaic Covenant. And it was essentially that God's people were enslaved in Egypt. They were freed from that slavery by God's mighty hand through the works of Moses, again, as the mediator. And But once they were freed, and what I tried to emphasize in the sermon was that There needed to be a covenant made between Israel as a nation and God so that the phrase, God will be their God and they will be his people, so that that was a workable relationship. If that was going to happen now, what God had promised to Abraham, that he would make them into a great nation, then there needed to be a covenant that kind of – I didn't really want to use this phrase in my sermon because it's kind of childish, but like a, a define the relationship kind of moment between God and his people. And that's that's how I came to understand the Mosaic Covenant as I was preparing for this. And so God approaches them essentially when they're in the wilderness and discusses with them, hey, this is, uh, this is what needs to happen. If you're going to be my people, you need to basically swear allegiance to me. You need to uh, promise obedience to me and what I lay out for you. He hasn't told them what is going to be required yet, mm-hmm. but the people realizing what just happened, they said that they would. And so he lays out these stipulations. One of the things I wasn't really able to get down to beyond just mentioning it in my sermon was the actual content of the covenant. And um, it's difficult in studying for this, like, if when you ask the question, what is the Mosaic Covenant, that's kind of hard to answer. Like, there's a very basic answer, which is, you could say, the Ten Commandments is essentially the Mosaic Covenant. Um, And what scholars and uh, commentators look at is that there's a very specific place in Exodus chapters 19 through 24, which we looked at the beginning Mm -hmm. and the end of that, But we didn't look at any of the content in the middle just because of time. But that's the formal part Mm -hmm. of where this covenant is enacted. Like Exodus 24 has this formal ceremony. Which seems really strange to us, like throwing blood onto people. But they're, like I said in my sermon, there's it's like some... a
0: Gallagher. Do you know who Gallagher is? The St. Gallagher? I have
1: a Gallagher hammer at home. <laughs> it's
0: like a Gallagher yes. event.
1: Yeah, I smash pumpkins with it at You all in the event. front row. <laughs> Get ready. I should have done that. <laughs> Get ready. Here comes the covenant of the pumpkin. Yeah. Um but uh but no, it's it that's why some commentators believe I mean, people of Israel by this point were millions of people. Uh and so they don't think that blood was thrown literally on every person, but that it was thrown against these 12 pillars that was representative of them. But there's this, there's this formal part of Exodus, but it's pretty clear. Like when you go into the New Testament and it talks about the Old Covenant, which yeah. is the Mosaic Covenant,
0: mm-hmm. it includes a lot more than that. Um, That's in- what I was going to say. When we read the New Testament, a good mm-hmm. clarification, because you, you talked about this at the end of your sermon how Jesus established a new covenant. He said, A new covenant yeah. I'm giving here. And so we have an old covenant and we have a new covenant. And so the old covenant that's being referenced in the New Testament yeah. is this covenant that you touch. It's not the yeah. it's not the covenant yeah. with Abraham. Nope. It's not the covenant that Pastor Spencer talked about with sin and crushing the head of the sermon all that. Yeah. It's this is a the new covenant talking about the law. Yep. Estab- yeah. Yeah.
1: That's right. That's a and that's a good clarification that mm-hmm. needs to be brought out, is because you don't hear the Mosaic Covenant referenced in the New Testament as the Mosaic Covenant or mm-hmm. the Covenant at Sinai. You mm-hmm. hear it called the Law, or you it's called the Old Covenant. Yeah, and it's called the Old Covenant as like later in my sermon is because it has been
0: replaced mm-hmm. with a new covenant. Mm-hmm. So we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it's like the the they, same. I mean, yeah, really, yeah. That's what's being talked about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah,
1: and so it's difficult to nail down. Well, what is the Mosaic Covenant because? You, like what I tried to lay out, was that essentially the rest of the the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch mm-hmm. is the Old Covenant. Like it, it has some narrative in there about what happened to Israel and what they did and where they were going, mm-hmm. but it contains a lot more. Um, <clears throat> so you have the sacrificial system, you have these all these feasts and festivals and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff and you have the idea of the priesthood of of levi uh through the tribe of levi that that was supposed to happen there there, and 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 so there's all of these details Mm -hmm. so like as i was trying to study like all of that
0: Mm -hmm. stuff i could have gone into it would have been a whole sermon series yeah so what you focused on i mean really was the law you mentioned the 10 commandments and you talked about the law and that this is the standard by which Israel should live by. Mm-hmm. And you made a very, you made it very pointed in your message that when Moses relayed the law to the people, the people's response was very clear. This we will do. Yeah, we will do, we will do this. Yeah, we will obey. But you pointed out, uh, a day, two days, three days later—I don't know if it's real specific in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Here they are erecting a golden calf out of the jewelry yeah. that they that God had given them from Egypt as yeah, they plundered it was a Egypt from God. Yeah, <laughs> he they take this jewelry and yeah, already the first commandment right out the window, mm-hmm. and they're they're sinning and they're falling short. And so you really spent a lot of time in your message focusing on that aspect of this covenant the mm-hmm. fact that god established this covenant with the people and this was the first covenant that god had established with the people where the people had a part you remember with abraham it was all god god walked through the sacrifices mm-hmm. right with with adam and eve and the serpent god said this is going to happen yeah this is the covenant I'm making with you but here it was if you obey then this And right away, failure. Mm -hmm. And so you just brought that out. The way you made it personal is how we know as people that we struggle with this. You can try to be better. And you could take that really... You can take that almost in any realm of life. You could go as simple as trying to diet or do something like Not bite your nails anymore. How hard that is (laughs) for people to stop doing. But when you add to it, I want you to not sin anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just... An impossible task. And that's really what you focused on in focusing on this covenant. Yeah. And so, I I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about that or if you want to talk about maybe some other parts of the the covenant that you didn't get to.
1: Well, I just think, like, if you, I mean, I want to get to what you were talking about there and just how we we still try. This almost is naturally how we want to approach God. Yeah. And this kind of exchange mentality Mm -hmm. of I do my part, God does his part Mm -hmm. type thing. But if you think about it, the covenant really does boil down to a swearing of allegiance mm-hmm. and obedience mm-hmm. to God. Every other part of the covenant is, is a necessary part for one reason, sin. The, the, the type of worship that, is, that they are called to do at the tabernacle through the sacrificial system, the need for a priesthood for the people to have. The priesthood is essentially the mediator between God and people at the meeting place of the tabernacle the need for sacrifices is there because of the problem of sin Mm -hmm. it's so all these other features of the new covenant are a result a necessary result of sin and so if there was no sin if there was no disobedience there wouldn't really be need for a priesthood Mm -hmm. there wasn't really be a need for sacrifices but there is and so that's why all of that is there, and we see all of that elaborated on in the New Testament. But but what you're talking about, I, you know, mentioning how we still try to approach God in this kind of exchange mentality where I do my part, God does his part. We naturally seem drawn to that kind of relationship with God.
0: And yeah, I mean, I, I, don't you think that's how we define love, though? Like, when we determine who we love, it is defined on you kind of love me too. Or there's like this relational aspect of of give and take. Now, granted, there might be a time, like right now, there's people in Kentucky hurting, and so people are hurting for them. And so like, I want to send money. Those people haven't loved you back maybe or whatever whatever it might be. Uh, But for most of our relationships, Mm -hmm. it's a give and take. And when somebody hasn't called you in a while, you're like, what's going on? Are you mad at me? Right? You're not giving here. Yeah, I'm not seeing. And so naturally then... That's how we approach God, but I would say the reason for that is because of sin in our in our life that we approach love that way, and we want to ascribe that to God, but that's not fair to ascribe that type of love to God, like the give take thing, yeah, no, I mean and it it doesn't work ultimately because
1: and because there is something wrong with us, mm hmm like you said, it's our sin. Mm-hmm. And so whether you your approach to this exchange with God is I just need to try as hard as I can or I just need to put myself around better influences, it becomes really clear really fast. No amount of trying that you can do is going to amount to a changed heart. Mm-hmm. And no amount of positive influence you put yourself around is going to result in a changed heart because your problem is not your surroundings. Um, And your problem is not lack of effort. Your problem is that you're, what what Paul gets to in the New Testament eventually, as he's going through Romans, is that the reason the Old Covenant didn't work is because you are enslaved to your sin, Mm -hmm. and you can't get out of this. Mm -hmm. And so, in that way, I and I told this uh, to you a couple minutes ago, but it kind of felt uncomfortable saying, but I think the New Testament makes it very clear that the Old Covenant is actually a failed covenant. So clarify that. What do you mean by that? Like God failed? No. The law failed? What do you mean? Yeah, no, God did not fail. Uh, I mean, he kept his part completely. Mm -hmm. You know, the agreement between them was, I will continue to be your God, and you will continue to be my people if you obey. Mm -hmm. So God was ready and prepared to do his part, Mm -hmm. um, but the people did not obey. And so it's not failed because of what God failed to do. It's, It's failed covenant because of what we failed to do. And the only reason I feel comfortable saying that it's a failed covenant is because that's what Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter eight, when it's talking about the need for a new covenant. The whole reason that there is a need for a new covenant is because the old one, it says, has failed. It if there was, uh, it says that if there was, if there wasn't a need. If the old one had been good enough, there wouldn't be need for a new one. And then he quotes Jeremiah, where Jeremiah is talking about this day where a new covenant is coming. Yeah. Right. Right. Where and the so, law will be written on your heart. Yes. And so it and it's incredible because like through the testimony of scripture that you see, of all the reasons why the old covenant is a failed covenant, the fact that our hearts are turned away from the Lord, mm-hmm. that we can't know God, that we are separated from God, that there's this problem of our sin what jeremiah quotes there says that all of that
0: is what is going to be solved yeah in the new covenant when the academic world talks about hebrews hebrews is considered you know one of the most artistic and best books ever written mm-hmm. and when you study hebrews i encourage people to do that me and me and scott were talking about this before we started recording it's hard sometimes to just read little passages in hebrews yeah because there's so much backstory to what you have to understand when it comes to the old covenant mm-hmm. to grasp what is being said, and then also the writer of Hebrews writes in a way that's kind of platonic—the way that Plato would talk about his philosophy of there being shadows yeah. of the perfect. And so Plato kind of had this idea that somewhere was the perfect chair. The chairs we have are shadows of the perfect chair. We can't yeah. really make or think of the perfect chair. Yeah. That's there's there. an ideal, yeah. That there's this an is ideal, yeah. And so the writer kind of talks this way, Mm -hmm. uh, even about the tabernacle, like, uh, and he says, Jesus came from the perfect tabernacle. Moses had the shadow. And so it's really hard to, I think, just read four verses and say, see, makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. And sometimes I think as pastors, we can get caught up in that because we've studied it. We know the backstory. And so we read it and you kind of look at the congregation like, see, Enough said. Why do I even have to go on? But there is a lot of back stuff to it. So Hebrews for the Mosaic covenant, for the Davidic covenant, for the sacrifices and stuff that we haven't really talked much about, Hebrews is where you go, I would say, to really get that stuff nailed down, the priesthood. Yeah, without the book of Hebrews, we wouldn't really
1: understand the Old Covenant very much. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is one of the aspects that simply because of time... I wasn't able to go into the fact that when we think of the old covenant being a failed covenant, it was almost. I talked to somebody after service because they were asking questions about this. And they were asking about that. And it was almost designed to be failed, to be a failed covenant. And I say that because when we think about. The old covenant and the new covenant were tempted to think that the new covenant with Jesus is a new and improved covenant. It's the 2.0. Mm-hmm. That's actually not true. No. The truth is that it's actually the original design. And what we see, and, I, and we know that because in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it says, They, and the they is a reference to the law and the sacrificial system and all this old covenant stuff, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, which is the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And our understanding there is that the old covenant, the tabernacle, these sacrifices, the altar, all of this stuff was designed after the the true thing. So like the, the chair that you were talking about, this perfect chair. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, the old covenant is kind of a cheap imitation of the real sacrifice that we have through Christ and, and, and then resulting fellowship that's available through God through that sacrifice. And so, yeah, in that way, the Old Covenant is not meant to ultimately bring us back to the Lord. It's meant to point us forward to a
0: day when the New Covenant would actually be brought into uh, mm-hmm. time. Yeah, Paul argues about this in Romans as well, Uh, Romans 4 and 5. I was trying to look for like a passage to read quickly, but I'm not finding it off the top of my head. But, you know, Paul would kind of ask that question, like, was there no need then for the law? And the answer is, no, I needed the law to know that I was sinning. Yeah, Because apart from the law, there is no sin then. Yeah, And so God establishes the law as a very fair way Mm -hmm. to say, look, you are disobeying. So like with Adam and Eve, he could say, you sinned, and they're like, well, why? I gave you one law. Yeah, Don't do this, and you did it. Yep, Right? Well, apart from that, if God would never have said anything to Adam and Eve, he couldn't say, hey, you weren't supposed to eat from that tree. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You never told me this. Yeah. And so God gives the law to the people saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, if you want to be my people, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be your God, here you go. This is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of stuff to read through. Yeah. Right? That, I mean, that's what you were saying. To, yeah. There's a lot of stuff there, and you... But it it doesn't it didn't work. But what Paul's argument is in Romans is the it didn't fail in that sense. It it showed it exactly me my what it was sin. supposed to yeah. do. It yeah. showed me my
1: sin. Yeah, it did exactly what it was supposed to do, and and that you could argue mm-hmm. that that's honestly the whole witness of the Old Testament mm-hmm. is that some like this in the when the first three chapters of the Old Testament Genesis one through three the problem is introduced, mm-hmm. and the rest of the Old Testament is showing that. This is a really bad problem that needs a really big fix. Yeah. Right? This isn't just duct tape over a mm-hmm. over a leak. This is you need to tear down the whole thing and start from scratch. And this is
0: why I think we have such a – this is a good series to do mm-hmm. uh, at this time because you you said this in your sermon. Uh, you didn't quote it exact, but uh, Jesus saying, every jot, every tittle, I am fulfilling of the law. And you said I'm crossing every T. Mm-hmm. He's dotting every I. That Jesus is fulfilling all of it yeah. he's living a perfect life to fulfill what we what you talked about yesterday in your sermon yeah he's going to die to fulfill the sacrificial system yeah right he is a what we see in hebrews he is a priest in the order of melchizedek why to set sa- to satisfy the priesthood mm-hmm. i mean we, you can go on and on with all these stuff that christ has fulfilled these covenants yeah he's fulfilled the covenant of abraham He's crushed the serpent's head yeah. uh, that we see in Genesis. He's fulfilled the Mosaic law next week. He's fulfilled uh, the covenant with David. Yeah. The
1: David. And somebody asked a really insightful question after service yesterday. They were asking, okay, if this is a covenant that God made with the people of Israel, why is the same covenant required of me? Why is it required of me? to fulfill
0: the law. Did you tell him to listen to last week's sermon with Abraham? Cuz <laughs> no. that was answered there.
1: Oh, uh, no. I didn't <laughs> tell him to listen to that. But what I what I did think, I mean, I'm sure that there's a very
0: elaborate scholarly answer to that, but Or do they mean, hold on, let me clarify. Or did they mean like I'm not a Jew, I'm a Gentile. And yeah. so since I'm a Gentile, I shouldn't have the law. Yeah. That's well, there's scripture verses that say even the Gentiles are found guilty. They didn't have the law, but still, yeah, he almost goes to a natural law almost, yeah, type of type. The law written on their hearts,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a there's a natural conscience that they have. Mm-hmm. But I think that that maybe the clearest, simple answer that I could give without going super in depth in studying this is the fact that the law given in Exodus and through those the the Pentateuch that is an expression of God's holiness in a sense. Mm-hmm. That is an expression of the law that God would require, not simply of Israel, but of anyone mm-hmm. that would seek to have fellowship with him. Yeah, The fact that it was given to Israel mm-hmm. specifically as a nation was a gift is one of the ways that they were to be, Paul talks about this in Romans, I think that they are, they, that they kind of safeguard the revelation of God to give to the rest of the world yeah. in that sense. And so it's not that, This isn't incumbent upon you because you're a
0: Gentile and not a Jew. Mm -hmm. Anyone would be required to fulfill this. Yeah. This is the trouble that people have with like that girl in China who's never heard the gospel. How could God hold her guilty? I mean, I think this is kind of where this is is leading and would be coming from. It could. It's a practical implication. It's like But but yes, that person is guilty because they didn't live a life holy to God who you know there's a God just through creation. Now, you don't know maybe about Christ and the cross and all this, but the Bible is very, speaks to that very well of saying even they are guilty mm-hmm. of sin before God because yeah. they're not living a perfect a perfect life. Yeah, and yeah. even in that way,
1: that's a way, If when we talk about the law given to Israel, it's easy to think about it in terms of a burden that God has placed on them when actually it's a gift mm-hmm. that God gave to them as a revelation of his will. right? He didn't leave them blind and groping in the dark about, well, who is this God that we are supposed to worship and how are we supposed to worship him and and what kind of life is pleasing to him? No, he graciously revealed that Mm -hmm. to them so that he's not this, the the Gentile that is, knows that they've broken some law that's written on their hearts and they're blind and they're groping for Uh God, but
0: they can't find him. And so in that
1: way, God's law is a gift Mm -hmm. that was given to them.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of times we want to turn these types of questions on God and be like, how can you be good if you're going to do this and blah, blah. And the real thing is how in the world and why in the world would God even give them the law? Why would God even do any of this? Why would he be with us and present with us? He didn't have to do that. But it's because of his love and grace that he's even chosen to do that. If one person, if one person ever gets to walk into heaven into glory and spend eternity with God, that is really unjust that god would let that happen because that person shouldn't be allowed in there yeah but in god's grace and in his gift and in his form of justice he lets people in and that should be what's unheard of that should be what's astonishing but too often we try to turn it uh, the other way around yeah 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 Yeah. no and the passage i was thinking of a second ago the gift
1: that was to the Jews is in Romans chapter 3. It mm-hmm. says, then then, what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, to begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And so they were given these realities, these oracles that were meant to lead them to, to the anticipation of a new covenant. And that new covenant, as you've kind of already elaborated on, Jesus in his earthly life perfectly fulfilled any kind of Passive obedience or active obedience as a true son of God, as a representative of his people. in the way that Adam failed to do that, right. Christ fulfilled that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did that perfectly, but there was still the problem of our sin and our guilt. Yeah. So the law is is fulfilled on our behalf, but there is still the problem of our sin that has to be dealt with. Yeah.
0: So looking at these covenants, I think people could fairly say... This stuff's boring like you're going back way way in time and I don't know I'm not a Jewish person. I'm a Christian. Okay, that's great. Like that's fine, but shouldn't we just focus on like the New Testament and just tell people about Jesus and the gospel and this stuff and that's great. I I yes, you should do that. But I think what you find as you dig into this just like we're talking about now is things are going to come up as you share the gospel with people who are going to ask questions such as what I said. What about this girl in China? She's 22 years old, never even heard about Jesus. She dies. You're telling me she's going to hell? How's that fair? The covenants are important to know this stuff, to actually have a good articulation to talk to somebody about it. And this is where, you know, people would come back and say, this is an unloving God, blah, blah, blah. And you realize right away, they don't know what they're, you don't know all this backstory, obviously. Yeah. Right. You don't know all this history. And so it's very important for us to have this foundation and this understanding So that even though we might not get to walk somebody through all of this, for me personally, I can't be pushed to the side in my faith by a question because I have this backing to understand where this question is coming from, right? Yeah. And so like with teenagers, when they go off to college and they start hearing things, they wave back and forth in the sea of uncertainty and doubt because Mm – they weren't willing to take this stuff seriously enough to study and to know so that they're not tossed to and fro in the waves. Yeah. But this is the stuff that makes us secure. Mm-hmm. These are the stuff that really gives us a foundation. That's not just a foundation of, you know what, I'm trusting Jesus no matter what. I know you said that question, but whatever, I don't care. No, of actually thinking through it and saying, I actually do have an answer for evil. The Bible speaks to that, right? Yeah. I do have an answer for sin and injustice and what justice is, and I can define love, and I actually can define truth, yeah. right? I, I can I can answer all of these questions from a biblical perspective yeah. in a clear and concise way, not just to help you out, but actually to help me and my faith out to know God more and to understand him. Yeah, the reason
1: that we as Christians in this New Testament era, if you want to think of it like that, can't. Get rid of the Old Testament. And I I think it's a, it comes from a genuine heart of a person who wants to focus on the New Testament because that's where we find Christ. That's where we see the gospel. But the problem is the work of Christ, his life and his death and even his resurrection, the gospel does not make sense without right. the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You cannot understand it in the way that it was meant to be understood without God's previous revelation that was leading to this. Like this is... This is a climax, but e- even if you go to your favorite movie to the climactic scene of that movie, if you haven't watched the movie up to that point, the climax makes no sense. <laughs> right? Like some movies actually start that way, right? Mm-hmm. They start with the climax scene, but the rest of the movie is the buildup to that scene mm-hmm. to give you the backstory. I think that's honestly how some people encounter Christianity. Oh yeah, for sure. They they see the climax. They see their need for Christ. They have this natural law written on their hearts, and they're told of Christ and they don't exactly understand everything but the rest of their christian life is learning about where all this comes from and why and you know you ask like well why do we why do i need to know all this covenant stuff why do i need to be instructed in all this beyond the apologetics aspect of it i know for me personally the bible comes alive when i study it and when i'm able to understand the context of everything that's going on there's been periods Early in my walk with the Lord where it's like, I read a part of the Bible and I don't understand what it's talking about, It's and that's when it seems boring and like it doesn't apply to my life, but understanding this progression of God's revelation and of salvation, it makes the Bible come alive. These little details like that I just read there in Romans chapter 3 about the oracles of God, it's mm-hmm. just like, what does that mean outside of this? You know all these little details in Hebrews make no sense, and uh, I just think it 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 brings everything together and m- helps it make sense. Yeah, absolutely, know? absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, good. Well, Scott, you got anything else to to add?
1: No, I mean, I mean, we talked about Christ that he is mm-hmm. he is the sacrificial lamb. It is his blood that when we see him dying on the cross, we we should look at that and say, I deserve that. Um. But instead, he took it for us. Mm -hmm. And the way that we are brought into this covenant, as it is with the covenant of Abraham, we are brought in by faith. Mm -hmm. It's not, there is nothing incumbent upon us. It is a gift to be received, Mm -hmm. and we receive it by faith. Um, And yet another part that I couldn't get into is that the sign of this covenant is baptism that we are baptized into Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons we believe baptism, especially as Baptists, is important mm-hmm. uh, for people to follow
0: through with that. But
1: no, I think that sums it up pretty good.
0: Great. Well, glad you were listening today uh, through this. We hope to continue this, as I've said before. This coming Sunday, which is December 19th, is kind of it's Christmas Sunday. It's the last Sunday of, of Advent. We'll be looking at the Davidic Covenant covenant that God had made with David that his line and the kingdom would last forever and that there would be someone on the throne forever in the line of David and so we look forward to that hopefully I can get that ready and prepared by Sunday so look forward to seeing you Sunday if we don't hope you have a blessed Christmas and again God bless